Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Your Bat is Dead, a Gotham Knights podcast from Nerds and Beyond. I am Jules. I am a content assistant and editor. And I am Mel. I am a writer at Nerds and Beyond. And Mal informed me before we started recording that her outline for this episode is actually longer than it was for the last episode. So I, I feel like we just got to jump right in because there's there's so much to unpack in this episode. I feel like every week we say that, but every week they pack in like even more information in the same amount of time. I don't know how they're doing it. Yes. And each episode feels like it's getting better and better and it feels mm-hmm. like it has more and more Easter eggs throughout. Like you would think as the season went on, they would kind of run out of easter eggs or at least they would be still using the same ones like Mm -hmm. as things return and keep cropping back up that okay well that counts as our easter egg for this week no no i think i've got more written down for this week (laughs) than i have for like any of the others so far every like proper noun the entire episode i was going like oh i bet that's a dc reference oh i bet that's like some character that means something and i waited very patiently for you to explain it to me tonight so i'm excited to be educated (laughs) about dc comics that's okay there will be plenty of just full-on fangirling too so we've got to (laughs) keep a balance here (laughs) exactly healthy mix healthy mix um and so do you want to just dive right in and and get into our first scene i mean i feel like this first scene first of all um kind of content warning for suicide and also for just extremely Mm -hmm. graphic violence from this show in particular i think this is probably the most outright graphic death that we've seen so far like we've seen people get stabbed we've seen some like interesting like lighting on fire bomb type stuff but this was like very personal and very raw um they really put you right in the headspace of this guy and it was really affecting i mean i i definitely considering we didn't have any warning that that was something that was going to be in the episode uh did take me a second i was kind of taken aback initially when i first saw it yeah like we're definitely getting that darker dc vibe Mm -hmm. being brought into the cw which i mean we don't usually get a lot of like we we get our pretty boys and we get our fight scenes (laughs) where they're just all you know sweaty and energetic and (laughs) (laughs) there's like a little bit of blood but like it's cleans off really easily like everything's fine like the The deaths happen off camera like fairly sanitized yeah fairly Mm -hmm. sanitized like we know the violence is there but they don't go into it too much but then every now and again certain shows they give you these little these little scenes mm-hmm. to just remind you like hey <laughs> we put this on after 9 p.m for a reason <laughs> <laughs> we're on after superman and lois <laughs> we go harder than they do yes and they did lean into that this episode i feel like each, each episode as we go on is getting more and more violent which mm-hmm. uh, i'm weirdly okay with <laughs> i don't know what that says about me but because we're coming from like the HBO shows. I mean, I will say like ha- some as someone who watches like House of the Dragon and like very much enjoyed like Game of Thrones for all the seasons, like I think it was jarring because it, I wasn't expecting it from this show, but it's certainly not like the most graphic thing that's ever been on television. It's just more that coming on to the CW, I was like, "Oh, wow. Okay, they really went there and they went for it so early in the episode, too." Mhm. Yeah, for me it was like how straight and serious it was because mm-hmm. I, I'm coming from a binge rewatch of Doom Patrol, which is very violent. Like it is very violent, but like it tends to balance its violence with ridiculousness, like yeah. quite a lot. Yes. Um, whereas this was just like straight up violent. Like there was nothing funny about that scene. Yeah, like, absolutely. It so. was harrowing. Or you're even like, you look at a show like The Boys, which again, very violent show, but a lot of the violence is either like cartoonish and kind of like played for laughs. Like it's just so over the top that it's, it feels ridiculous watching it. So you're not really mm-hmm. thinking about how terrifying it is. 
But yeah. in this case, they really put you in the headspace of the character and you can feel how scary it is to be in the grips of this talon, which we'll talk more about later. Yes, we will. <laughs> so, But yeah, I mean, that is very like Batman and DC in general, as far as the, the big names in, in comics, DC, Marvel, like DC has always been the darker yeah. of the two. I mean, you can just like look at the big movies. They've always been the darker <laughs> ones compared to like, yes. you know, the, the Marvel movies, which have a lot of comedy in them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Neither of which is color better than the others. I will say like both have, have their good points for that. Mm-hmm. But we're definitely like the more they're doing this in the show, the more DC it's feeling to me. Yes. So, but this uh, scene at the beginning where we don't know his name yet, um, mm-hmm. But the guy <laughs> at the beginning, um, the I like absolutely freaked out and loved watching that scene. So like the the violence came like secondary to me because I was really <laughs> enjoying watching the scene because I've I've been doing some some comics reading of things that you know might be related to the show hmm. in some way just because it will help me notice like certain parallels and things that they were doing. And that scene at the beginning is almost i would say a direct parallel like if podcasts were a visual medium (laughs) i I would hold up some comic panels right now (laughs) but um is almost a direct parallel to the panels showing alan wayne's death in the first um court of owls comic so the batman court of owls comic arc specifically has a scene where alfred is recounting um, the death of Alan Wayne and him running and and ending up. And there are certain like particular shots and everything in that first intro scene where I was like, oh my gosh, this looks exactly like this. So I was like, hitting pause on the CW app and like scrambling for my comic books. Like, <laughs> I'm such a nerd. I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, we wouldn't have this podcast if we weren't both silly nerds about things. So I, I don't think that's anything to apologize for. <laughs> yes. And we will, I, I'm sure we will come back to those comics during this particular discussion that we're going to have today. Oh, have no, we're not, we're not going to talk about the Court of Owls again. What are you talking about? That, yeah. That's the only mention hmm. this episode. That's We don't need to talk about them anymore. Yeah, they're not going to come up again. <laughs> no. It's not like they're the main villain or anything. Hmm. Yes. But that intro was amazing for that because casual viewer, not, not going to know that, not going to pick up on it. But yeah. again, there's that extra layer to this show for people who really do want to be that person yeah it's like a little bonus it's amazing (laughs) and and it's so clear that again as we've been saying the people behind the show really pay attention and they love their dc lore this isn't just a project that they took because they wanted to like write a show about teenagers and oh if we put the batman ip behind it then it'll get more traction or whatever like these are people who clearly wanted to tell this story because they really love dc comics which is pretty cool and it, it definitely shows like the writers like uh, Natalie and James and Chad have clearly done their research. There's clearly passion behind it where they've taken parts from so many different Batman IPs mm-hmm. in and put them all into this story, but yet made this story completely its own unique thing. And we have to remember as well that this whole thing is under Belanti Productions and Greg mm-hmm. Belanti. I mean, we should trust that name by now. Like he has <laughs> a long history of actually making very good DC shows. Like yeah. we have to, like we have to give him the props where it's due. And part of that is because he himself is a big nerd. He loves this entire world. And you know, if he's decided to put his name behind this, I think we have to give him him and the show a little a little credit there. So the, the other thing I was thinking during this violence scene, actually, is I felt so bad for that police officer, like the trauma. 
Like the trauma of having to watch this guy like kill himself, which of course is a very traumatic incident for everybody, mm-hmm. but like he stole your gun to do it. And like, oh like, yeah, I, I hope he was put on leave after, I have to say. Are you kidding? GCPD is like super short staffed right now. There's no True. way that guy got like half a day and then they were like, no, you got to go back out there. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, that they we've got a lot of fugitives on the loose. <laughs> everyone's running bombs are getting planted everywhere there's no day off (laughs) yes so i think it's interesting that we hear him say in that scene um the you know the he's saying initially that they're coming we can't see what it is that he is seeing Mm -hmm. um or hear what he is hearing we just get kind of a a high-pitched kind of sound going on but he's clearly hearing something specific that is yes terrifying him um and then before the the tragic end to that scene he says they're already here so that makes a lot more sense later when we we see a a scene (laughs) later on um but i think that's very cool and i kind of loved the slightly owl-like screeching in the background yes it's such a cool (laughs) detail like it's just like a little the little things add up with this show with the production design everything that was very creepy and effective (laughs) yeah i i liked it 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 was a great scene like it was a very tragic scene but it was a great scene and it was really well done so it was a good opener to knock you off kilter a little bit and kind of put you on edge going into the rest of the episode yes and it, it's coming back to that whole CW, very supernatural-esque first five minutes where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, we're seeing someone on the screen. You are not going to make it. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's not going to happen. And um, very Berlanti-esque as well because yes. not only, aside from the superhero shows that he does, he's also done plenty of other like true crimey type shows. Like what came to mind for me, honestly, was like when I watched Prodigal Son, which is another one of Greg Berlanti's yes. shows, Gone mm-hmm. Too Soon. Um, but it made me kind of think of that vibe because that show was also a procedural and so like the first five ten minutes of that show there was always like a really shocking crime at the beginning and then they would be investigating the rest of it and that very much felt like that with that opening scene yeah really really underrated show have to say extremely underrated show i i don't get me started (laughs) (laughs) okay so let's let's move on to our post post uh credits or well, not credits uh post intro scene where we get this amazing uh music crew with of the soul wax song with duella on her little scooter oh it's so good <laughs> i love that it's it's pure like joker's daughter joy and i love uh-huh. it it's like a glee she just like like when you say gleeful you think duella like everything that she does there's like this element of like yeah just being very excited to be alive which is very funny for such yeah, like, a well, dark character <laughs> does that come from trauma probably, probably. but <laughs> we're enjoying it <laughs> is the sarcasm a defense mechanism absolutely but it's funny so we're gonna keep going with it <laughs> exactly and there are some great lines in this one like her, mm-hmm. her like quote about uh, Turner's sitting there complaining. Oh my god! Quite rightly, like he's not saying anything that's wrong. He's not really <laughs> just being a whiny baby. But but it does come off a little whiny baby only because the way that he expresses it is it's not like I'm grieving for the loss of my only father figure. I lost access to like the life that I had before. Like it kind of comes across like I just want to be really rich and popular again. Like I just want to go back to yeah. like that time. And so these other kids who have like dealt with for their whole lives the feeling that Turner has right now. Like they've never felt comfortable at home. They've never felt comfortable in their own skin. Like there's they've always been hunted. They're kind of looking at him like, all right. 
okay. Like, so you've lived our life for like two weeks and you already are oh, miserable. No. <laughs> like, you had to shower in a locker room. Exactly. Like, you. <laughs> the complaints are just not, Turner needs to get a little bit better at expressing his emotional complaints. Maybe. Yes. And Harper's face while he's talking about all that <laughs> is just beautiful because she's, she's, 50-50, she's between like, okay, I'm listening. I know that mm-hmm. he's he's grieving. This is a big deal for him. But at the same time, like, I can't say a word because if I do, <laughs> it's, yep. it's, so she just basically sits there in silence. Yeah, they let Duella say it as usual, because Duella yes. is always telling it like it is. <laughs> it is, and she is in some ways the conscience of the group. Like she is saying the things that maybe they shouldn't say out loud, but she is like she is straight there with it. And I love her for that. No, she's amazing. And I loved Cullen's line in that scene as well when they brought the cake out. (laughs) And he was like, sorry, I couldn't couldn't Uh, find one that said, good luck trying to solve Bruce Wayne's murder by investigating the alleged killing of his great-great-grandfather. It was just the way that he delivered that was perfect. And it was very funny. He had a couple really good one-liners. Like, he's so perky and happy to have found this cake. And I think that's such a juxtaposition to Turner being Mm -hmm. all emo about being stuck in the school. Whereas Cullen is like, we're stuck in this place and there's free cake here. There's cake here. I never got cake at home. I never got any of this stuff. I'm just going to be happy with what life has currently dealt me. Yep. So that's how they've been raised to think, right? Is like, if a good thing comes along, you just enjoy it. You don't ask questions because you don't know when the next good thing is going to happen. Whereas Turner is just used to all of the good things all of the time. So he doesn't really know how to deal with this. (laughs) It also says something to me that he said that he liberated that from the teacher's lounge. Now, there was maybe one-tenth of that cake that had been eaten. Right. Like a little bit, which again, in this like high-class Gotham Academy, apparently all of those teachers are not cake eaters, which is just tragic. (laughs) Or somebody else already snuck the cake before they even gave it to the teacher which is a great implication that like some other teacher was like, like let that. me take well, a little cake whoever whoever did like hacked at that cake in such a barbaric way the cutting of that <laughs> cake really upset me <laughs> how did they do a better job cutting it with a plastic fork and a talon knife than, than, than they did down in the in the actual school oh, head shake my do it's, it's a vanilla cake so maybe that's why they're wasting it Oof. Oh, don't diss vanilla. Don't go on that (laughs) tangent. My favorite cake in the whole world is um, vanilla icing on vanilla cake. So, see, I like like the cream cheese icing. I don't mind the vanilla cake so much. But anyway, cake (laughs) tangents, cake tangents. I need to be. This is what the audience is here to be grateful for all cakes. (laughs) But yeah, he's very he's very perky, and you know he's he's repurposing the talon knife. He's giving Mm -hmm. it a new Mm -hmm. lease of life after it almost killed him. Which yes. (laughs) we can appreciate that and if it wasn't for them using that knife they wouldn't have made a very important discovery about what exactly that knife might have been used for yes and i have to comment on how that discovery is made because the reason that the cake gets shoved across the table and the knife falls into the floor and gives them that little telltale x mark um is because duella appears with this amazing yearbook (laughs) showing uh that turner was in the glee club which is hilarious to me because where i know olivia from is high school musical the musical the series a nice little reference a little inside joke there "Hmm." also i love it because turner could so easily have been on glee like look from a looks perspective like that kid was like built to be on glee and it's also very cute because grant gustin who was another arrowverse star and melissa benoist who was another arrowverse star were also got their starts on glee so it's just a nice little little wink and a nod 
<laughs> I did. I did like that one. And I kind of liked the idea that like at one point, like the biggest issues that Turner had was probably like, what song are we going to sing next week? Like, <laughs> and he's now stuck in this Belfry eaten stolen cake and still his glee oh. past is coming back to haunt oh, yeah. him. <laughs> and he was totally having like a Troy Bolton struggle between like fencing and glee club, you know, like having to oh, sneak yeah. out to glee club rehearsals, but then like missing fencing practice. Where's that spinoff? Where's that and show? Clearly Bruce was pressuring him to keep up the fencing because <laughs> <laughs> so he is, Bruce is Troy's dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly why they were fighting so much before he died. He wanted to sing and his father wouldn't let him. <laughs> <laughs> because Bruce knew that for his own safety, he had to learn this fencing. <laughs> oh, okay. We've got a high school musical crossover happening here. <laughs> yes, please. Give me immediately. <laughs> okay. With that, back to the uh, X marks the spot moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, great. Loved how they did that. <laughs> The photos that, that Harper is pulling out, I love that she immediately was like, there's something not right about this. Like, mm-hmm. you, you get the feeling that Harper has seen a lot of wounds, probably. Mm-hmm. And so seeing these strange little little cross shapes, I can see why that would flag to her. And then obviously we get Cullen's very dry comment about like, well, I'm not a medical examiner, but... <laughs> It is very fishy. And so you have to immediately ask, okay, so why weren't the GCPD more interested in corruption very weird wounds <laughs> corruption yes. and if i had to guess knowing that these owls are so powerful there's no way one of them wasn't like a medical examiner at some point right like i mean that these yes, have to that be, would be like a logical thing reports for them and to like do. yeah yeah they can suppress that information pretty easily i would think although it is very funny later on when we see the photos of all the bodies and i'm like wow literally not one person this whole time has connected these wounds to each other they're so clear yes they was they were smart enough to at least put them in different jurisdictions. So if it wasn't the same person seeing them, maybe they wouldn't have connected it. But if they had done any kind of search, <laughs> it should have come up. But you know, I think Gotham PD they're towing a very fine line between corruption and pure incompetence, and I'm kind yes. of here for that. <laughs> it's it's both. <laughs> the answer is both. <laughs> I was going to say, I love the design of the knives because, again, that comes directly from the Batman um, Court of Owls comics. Like, they look exactly the same as the Talon knives that they had in that with the little little crossed ends <laughs> and the almost, almost like figure of eight shape kind of stretched yeah. for, for the knife. Um, so I love that. It would have been so easy for them to just be like, oh, we're just going to give them like a, a brand new fancy knife. But I, I like the throwback. I think it's great. So we move on from the knife scene into Gotham News Now. Which I'm becoming so fond of. <laughs> Me too. It's like a nice little interlude. It's And I like that the way that they delivered the news, like to kind of orient you to the outside world and what people are thinking, because sometimes being in the Belfry and being with the kids can be a very, like its own little world. So it's nice to be like, this is like the big picture of what's going on in Gotham. Yeah. And and like you said, those are kind of like our, our muses. They're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, and they're very useful sometimes to just kind of lampshade certain things that when you're inside these characters heads you get kind of used to and Mm -hmm. then once again someone needs to pop up and say oh no actually that's really weird and dangerous (laughs) (laughs) hold on a second (laughs) you're like oh yeah there are other people living in this city Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) trying to go about their daily lives 
That's the other spinoff I want. Just like the normal person walking around Gotham, just like going to their normal job while like acts of terrorism are occurring on like a daily basis from like yeah. all of these criminals everywhere. <laughs> Give me the story of like the barista that works down the road from like GCPD. <laughs> I just sees all these people going past every day, serves them their coffee sometimes. That's what I want to see. <laughs> uh, one of the, the cool things in the Gotham News Now scenes is they have a little ticker at the bottom that kind of is mostly you're distracted by what's happening on the screen and what this already, but if you pay attention to the little ticker at the bottom, it, it kind of gives you updates on what people are thinking about the other stories. So even though in this episode they were talking about um, that basically he was just shitting on Harvey Dent there, <laughs> giving that nice uh, that nice mention of, of Two-Face by name, by saying that he was a Two-Face politician. A Two-Face politician. Wink, wink, nudge, yes. nudge. <laughs> so Lincoln March, we see you. Great. We see you. <laughs> uh, but we kind of got updates on what the general populace are thinking about other stories in the ticker at the bottom. Um, for example, they're still mentioning that people are very happy about Harvey protecting people at the Founders Gala. That was one of them. So that was the last episode. And I have noticed, now I'm not sure if I read this figure wrong. I don't think I did. I need to go back maybe one or two more times to double check. There's also a $10 million bounty on <laughs> Turner and the rest of the fugitives. And I'm just like, $10 million? Don't anybody tell Duela because... <laughs> She will hand the others in so fast. <laughs> Immediately. Don't tell anyone about that. <laughs> yep, she's like, this is my escape. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a blonde wig on. Oh my God, here they are. <laughs> Found them. <laughs> so yeah, I thought that that was kind of cool that you can kind of see the plots from previous episodes represented in that little ticker tape at the bottom, which is pretty cool. And you get other random things like, what's the temperature in Gotham today? <laughs> kind of stuff. Which, you know, just, just makes it feel like more of a all-rounded news channel, which I appreciate. Yeah, but. Which is awesome. The details are very cool on this show, as always. Yes. And then once uh, Lincoln March is done calling Harvey a two-faced politician, we get <laughs> our first Harvey scene of the episode. Oh, so good. So good. So short, but so good. That one shot of him waking up on the couch might be my favorite shot of the season. It's just yes. so well done and effective. And it's disorienting in the same way that the first scene is because you're starting off to the side. You're starting with him and kind of waking up in confusion with him. And I yeah. love when camera shots do that to you, put you in the same headspace as the character that you're identifying with. Because in that moment, you also don't know what Harvey was doing last night. Exactly. Well, we don't know anymore than he does. <laughs> so, yeah. And just really like him, we want to know. circular camera work that, that really really helps with that it was disorienting and it was great and i think the lighting of the mm. the, the two-faced lighting as i've come to think of it where he's half in shadow and half in light was even more striking yeah. um like it was a very dark shadow and it, like a very crisp line down mm -hmm. the middle of his face like it was very obvious which obviously anybody who's been paying attention they've seen that throughout the previous episodes but it's definitely getting stronger and stronger with each episode which is obviously brilliant and very well done so yeah, and gee, I wonder. People. I wonder why it's getting stronger. It's almost <laughs> like <laughs> Harvey is having more and more trouble keeping the two parts of his life separate. Yeah, if he even knows that that other half of him exists, which I don't think that he does. Which we'll I don't talk think about. that he does either. So let's let's dive into talking about this a bit. So he stands up. Yes. So he is brought coffee by his colleague, waking him up. Um, which again, I'm going to return to that coffee because I have thoughts about. That. <laughs> 
<laughs> but, we're going deep into the coffee folks <laughs> yes deep into the coffee but immediately he stands up he's trying like rushing getting his jacket on and a key drops out of his jacket a key that he does not remember where it came from essentially yep. and not even just a key like half of a key which again yeah, like a very, i kind of like yeah it's like a, a two-faced key it's half yeah. of a key um what I loved about this shot, though, is if you watch him pick up the key, the way that it is shot and the way that it is lit, again, I'm sorry, but the lighting people in this show, um, as he goes to pick up the key, what the camera actually focuses on is there is an entire other shadow hand also picking up the key. And it's like really crisp and well done. It's just, it was perfect. Like these lighting people, like I love them. (laughs) The crew on the show is seriously, it's just, it feels like every shot is like a competition between all the other departments to be like, how many little Easter eggs and things can we throw in here? Like, let's beat the costume department today. We're going to get more (laughs) Two-Face references in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So the shadow hand picks up the key and he says that he doesn't remember where it came from. So... I won't dive into the coffee now. We'll come back to it later. <laughs> but remember, this is this is where the coffee happens. The coffee <laughs> happened first. <laughs> yes. So once we, we we get through that admittedly short but very powerful Harvey scene, very important mm-hmm. Harvey scene, um, we switch back to our little chaos crew <laughs> and we get one of our, my favorite nicknames yet, which was Harper calling Stephanie <laughs> Little Miss Wirecutter. Which... <laughs> We've got to talk about these two. Unfortunately for poor Mal, um, I'm in a phase where I'm shipping everyone with everyone. It's just been like a one phase. of those weeks. You think this is a phase? It's, it's not a phase, <laughs> Mom. It was never a phase. Um, but truly, everyone on this show has such good chemistry. And this this week really proved that they can combine all these characters in different ways like and have them team up and they're still compelling to watch. Like We got a lot of different little solo team-ups in this episode. But I am loving the tension between Stephanie and Harper. I sense an enemies to lovers plotline in my future, yes. or so I hope. Um, I am I've with been, you on this one. Yes. And I've been reliably informed that the fandom has decided that their ship name is Sharper, which is objectively the best of the ship names because none of the other combinations work well. So I'm rooting for them. Yes on the basis of ship names alone and they had so much good content this episode in terms of just their little put downs to each other and us getting to know stephanie a little bit more and harper maybe lowering some of those walls a little bit i'm i'm rooting for them i really am yeah i i really like it i like the snark i like that they do have a lot in common Mm -hmm. but right now all they're seeing is the differences they're not yeah especially especially harper um (laughs) though a little bit bit more so too She does this this awesome speech where she references um, Stephanie maybe doing a set at the Iceberg Lounge, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool because that's like a very trendy like Gotham club. But in a lot of the comics, it's also the headquarters of the Penguin. <laughs> so, which you feel like Doyla would probably know about. Like she <laughs> is probably familiar with that. So I thought that was a nice little name drop there. I liked that one. Um, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. So... While everybody is snarking, Carrie has obviously been, you know, thinking about the crimes and the things that they actually have <laughs> do, to do. Doing the, the real work of the situation. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Robin doing all the work, as usual, some would say. So, <laughs> and I love that she comes in and says that, you know, do we think that these knives have been used on, on a bunch of other people? Like, is that crazy? Is it something that we can search for? And 
Colin immediately says that it's going to take him a lot of visits to get all of the GCPD <laughs> autopsy records. At no point does he say he won't do it. He's just yeah, like, exactly. it's, it's going to take me a while. <laughs> he likes his new job. He likes being a part of the GCPD. <laughs> yeah, he really likes that mustache, I think. Yeah, it's a good disguise. And he likes dressing up in costume, and who can blame him? But I also do like that Stephanie's like, no, 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 no. You simply plug in this little device, and then I have access to, like, every single thing in GCPD. And I'm like, why wouldn't you have just had him place that the last time he was there? Because odds are you're going to have to access GCPD's records again in the course of this yep. investigation. Why'd you make the poor kid go back a second time? You could have just had him do it all in one, just in case. <laughs> yep, she could have just had him do the rubber ducky the first time though <laughs> was she there when they decided to do that the first time I'm now oh thinking. that's right she didn't know she, yeah so she didn't so know she didn't know so, so clearly <laughs> they should have looped her in at the beginning and yeah. they could have saved themselves some time here <laughs> so points to stephanie she was not aware it's not a flaw in her plan okay. it's a flaw in their in the rest of their plan <laughs> yes but it does mean that we get to hear cullen talk about the juice of the bean again <laughs> <laughs> That has got to be, be. Yeah, I'll never be uh, able to pull uh, coffee uh, anything else. <laughs> I know. Now every time I see it, now that's what I think. I love that that was probably like an inside joke that started on set. Now it's just never going to go away. And I also like that they brought back that same actor again to be the, the detective that he's giving the coffee to. I just yes. think it's really nice. <laughs> I liked it, and I I love Cullen's like accent switch up uh, when he goes. Oh in my there. gosh! Yes. <laughs> His like admittedly terrible on purpose accent gives me life only because all of these very experienced detectives are watching like essentially this like 16 year old boy. I know he's older than that, but like this actual child walking in with a fake mustache and an even faker accent. And they're just like, eh, GCPD is recruiting him young these days. Got to yeah, take they him just, early. They just kind of shrug and go with it because, <laughs> you know, he has the uniform and everything mm -hmm. else. He blends in. And I mean, it comes down to one of those things, like how much attention do you really pay to the people around you if you think you're in a safe space? That's true. Like, yeah. So I can I can see why that works, but it does nod back to that very classic DC thing of like, if you put glasses and a mustache on someone, <laughs> they're a different person. <laughs> and just the general incompetence of the GCPD in almost every iteration <laughs> that it exists. Yes. I, I did tweet this out. Um, I can't remember where it was at some point this week because I forgot to mention it the last <laughs> time. Um, but I loved that um, when Cullen decided on his his alias when he was sneaking in here, um, he actually decided to be a cop from the area of Gotham where Arkham Asylum is, which is great because that, the first time he came up was the first episode where we had a little bit of kind of a, a Duela Cullen team up, however transactional yes. that friendship may be. Um, <laughs> I liked that. I, it was like a, a little nod to the area where Arkham Asylum is, which apparently is is his patrol. That's it. That's his beat. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, honestly. That tracks. Yes. And that scene was also so funny because we got that quick interaction between Cullen and Harvey, which was just like... Again, I understand the glasses mustache deal, <laughs> but the fact that he literally slammed into him, had a full conversation for like a minute, and Harvey's just like, thank you for your service, and like continues on <laughs> his merry way. To be fair, he is yep. distracted. Um, I think yes, he's probably we know thinking he's about everything that's going on. today, so <laughs> we know about that. <laughs> he's off his but... game. He totally would have figured it out if it wasn't for the fact that he was off sure. his game. <laughs> sure. Sure he would. <laughs> Probably just was thinking, damn, we're hiring them young these days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So yeah, love that. Knocks into Harvey, manages not to get recognized, says that he'll vote for Harvey, which I mean, we all would, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Harvey at this Dent point, mayor, if my, if my options are Harvey versus Lincoln, like yeah. I'm going Harvey, but at the same time, like mm, they're, they're closer than you would, than you would think. Yeah, really. Um, Let's just say I, I would vote for Harvey right now. Give it another few episodes and maybe I might have to revisit And maybe that. Lincoln wins. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Colin gets inside the server room or the server closet, as he calls it. Um, I was watching with somebody who interacts with server rooms in their day-to-day life. And he was just and he was just like, that server room's a mess. Look at the size of that thing. And I was just like, GCPD is not the best funded in the county, okay? This is television. The computer stuff on television is terrible anyway. It's why I get upset watching true crime stuff when they, even in this episode where they're like, oh, we need to like cross-reference like all the murders that had these little marks. Couple of keystrokes. Oh, look, I found all the files that pertain to it. It's like, no, police departments have terrible record keeping. A lot of it's like not even digitized yet. You would have a very hard time just logging into like every police department to see all of the records. Yes. You let it go. Suspend you let it go disbelief. because, yeah, you, you have to suspend disbelief. We're in Gotham. TV. It's a fake universe. Blimps are flying around the city. Everyone can yes. access every police department. And again, we got a blimp in the opening scene. <laughs> we did. I thought um, of you when I saw it. <laughs> That's your I new identity yeah, now. Blimp I, haven't, lady. I haven't gotten past mourning the one that we lost in the last episode. <laughs> Gone but not <Okay>. forgotten. <laughs> in the arms of an angel. The blimp. <laughs> I, I just feel like I'm counting the blimps all the way through. Um, I know that that some of the showrunners were big fans of them too. They they were like really liked the dirigibles. So I feel like I'm not completely out. <laughs> You're not alone. With that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's I think one of the things I like the most about the blimps is it serves as this little reminder that we are not in this universe. Mm-hmm. We are in a very close approximation of this universe, but there are definitely things going on here that just aren't real life. Like Police yeah. departments don't have dirigibles in America. It would be amazingly cool if they did. Yeah. And, and in our universe, but, necromancy doesn't really work. But in this universe, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Thoughts on that later. I have thoughts, thoughts. on that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he uh, Colin gets the rubber ducky in the server room. That, that's what I've been tangentially getting to for about the past 10 minutes. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So yes, they do their amazing searching, lots of results. Court's been killing people for over a hundred years, which we I mean, we've been new, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but now they also know. So that they're, they're slowly <laughs> catching up. They're catching up with the audience, which is great. So they start looking up the last person who was killed who has these these marks on him. Um, and we see the face of our runner from the intro. Wow. Yay. Wow. We'd have never guessed it was that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and we aren't the only ones who recognizes that guy because Turner knows exactly who he is. Yes. Um, so the name, uh, Pericles Jones, um, very cool. As far as I'm aware, not a DC reference. However, it... Um, there was a very well-known um, ancient Greek statesperson, statesman called Pericles, who um, did a lot for democracy and also for arts and culture. So very well-known. I think he was even referenced in like Shakespeare and stuff. Like He was that much of a big deal. Um, so very interesting that they chose that name for this character to kind of, kind of giving us a clue, even at this early stage, that like 
I don't think he was a bad guy. I think he, I think he was doing something for justice, which mm-hmm. we will return to later. <laughs> <laughs> put a pin in that. Come back. Put a pin in that. Put a pin in it with the coffee. And we'll return with the coffee. To it. <laughs> but yes, so we know that he was a lawyer and that Turner recognized him because he was one of his dad's lawyers. So go. Mm. Um, it's also very clear in this scene. I think that Harper just does not want to be around Stephanie. Yep. <laughs> well, she's telling herself that at this That's point. That's what she's telling herself. It'll turn around. It'll turn around. <laughs> yes. So she volunteers to go and pick this lock with Turner. Um, but Turner kind of calls her out on it, which mm-hmm. I he like. Does. I like that whole conversation. That conversation was amazing to me for a couple different reasons. One, him calling her out directly, which is usually Duella's job. So good for him for assuming that role. But also <laughs> because the way that they shot it, you see Harper working real hard to break into this <laughs> this house. And I suppose Turner is acting as a lookout. We're going to give him that much credit and assume that's what his job is in that moment. But really, he's just standing there in good lighting, in profile, just gazing wistfully off into the distance, thinking he about like, doing life his and job, stuff. Jules. His job is to stand there and look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. I appreciate that Turner is always kind of the weak link in most situations, even though like he can fence and he has like certain attributes that are that are helpful. In many ways, he's kind of just the stand there and look pretty guy. And they really made that very explicit in that particular moment. Yes. I think it's kind of awesome that they're doing that with him, actually, because he he has skills. Like he is mm-hmm. useful. We have seen him fight. He has clearly been trained by his dad. But we get these great reminders that he might have these skills, but he doesn't have the experience in this yep. life that all of the rest of them do. So a lot of the time that, like, yeah, he is the stand there and look pretty guy. <laughs> and he I can't even the... pick a lock. Like he can't, like that's like a exactly. basic tool in the arsenal and he can't do that. Yeah. And I, I love the kind of subversion of the fact that like, you would assume if you knew nothing about the show, but you knew that it was centered around Batman's son, well, you mm. would assume that Batman's son is the hero. He's the badass. Yep. He's got all the skills. And actually, no, no, he's just a high school <laughs> kid with really pretty hair. <laughs> Who's trying his best. But he really yeah, is. <laughs> that conversation was good, though. I'm glad that he kind of called Harper out directly on what she was doing um even if she wasn't quite ready to hear that message from him it it was a good seed planted for her to be thinking about throughout the episode before the ending yeah and i I think it's good because he was obviously he's doing it because he cares about stephanie and Mm -hmm. so he's kind of seeing it from that side he is defending stephanie in a way in his mind but for her to see that thought from somebody who is less involved with her Mm -hmm. um I, I think that really was a, a good seed planted, like you said. The next scene, again, I have so many notes about this scene. I'm going to apologize in advance. <laughs> it's a good scene. So Duella pulls out another yearbook, or uh, as the comment goes from the rest of them, that it's another yearbook. But it's a yearbook for serial killers. Yay! <laughs> Get her her own podcast. I want to hear Duella's thoughts on the serial killers of Gotham history. I think that is her alternate universe life. Like she survives all of this and she becomes <laughs> one of those middle-aged women who runs a true crime podcast. That's yeah, but like way more entertaining because she's on the side oh, yes. of the serial killers. <laughs> yes. She, she's telling you about, you know, not only what they did, but how they did it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. A, a little too much admiration on her yes. end. So yeah, the the anarchist true crime podcast. That's where she's going for. <laughs> so they start telling us about Felix, her her favorite from this book. Which <laughs> of course, there was a daddy mention in there. Mm-hmm. Like we have had a daddy mention every single episode so far. I think. Um, so he 
apparently was always telling her about this book. Obviously hoped that she would read his parts in this book, but she was more interested in good old Felix, um, the butcher of Gotham. She says this really cool line. Um, that he terrorized the gaslit streets of Gotham, which just tickled my brain because it felt That's like awesome. a, a slight reference to Gotham by Gaslight, which uh, came out recently. So <laughs> that, that was just one of those little little things that made my brain happy, like just the, the wording there. I really liked that. Um, so the butcher of Gotham, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about him just for just for a second here. So go for um, it, take it away. Felix. <laughs> So in the comics, there's a reference to him working at um, Halley's Circus. So in the comics, the circus' most famous act was actually the Flying Graysons. And the Flying Graysons, uh, actually one of them was Dick Grayson, who later became Robin. So there's there's a lot of history of that circus in the Batman universe. And specifically in relation to the Court of Owls, because they were kind of almost a training ground for talons, or at least they they picked a few. They picked a few because mm-hmm. you've got kind of a lot of acrobatics, useful things going on in this slightly not quite above board circus <laughs> thing that they've got going on. Um, so I, I like that they put that in there. Um, and they made a point of showing us that uh, Felix was caught and executed, or we assume executed. Yep. He was hung from his neck. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point we're thinking okay so does he have a descendant that he passed his knives on to or um as we spoke about i think in maybe episode two we talked about the fact that um in the comics different versions of the comics have different talents so there could mm. be a situation where you have a lot of different talents it's more of a title than a person lots of different assassins however also in the comics there is this concept that the talons have this kind of serum which allows them to um regenerate to heal faster makes them that little bit faster a little bit stronger than the other ones and i think i said during the fight scene with the previous talon before how it kind of seemed like everything that everyone was doing even with harry like firing at him just wasn't affecting him as much as it should be affecting a normal person yes Um, and i would just like to say that we were correct about that (laughs) yes when we were saying definitely believe that even more after this yes so points points to us for seeing ahead (laughs) so they discover that felix had a daughter eunice monroe Which I was so excited for this appearance because Veronica Cartwright is just like a legend, like so many different movies and TV shows that she's been a part of. And to see her on this show was really, really cool. And especially in such a juicy, small role, like it's not a big part, but boy, is she memorable. Yes, absolutely loved her. Um, She's in a nursing home, which um, I noticed was in uh, Robinson Park, which is an area of Gotham that exists that like they're they're pretty good with their locations in this series. Like they're really pinning them down in like the Gotham world, which is great. Um, And it's named for Jerry Robinson, who is the co-creator of uh, the Joker, which is pretty cool. Um, Yeah, he's a very legendary Batman artist. So they they just put that location in there. And I liked that one. Um, Not sure if we knew there was a nursing home there before, but we do now. (laughs) (laughs) So, <laughs> I'm sure somebody out there, some DC fan will correct me if we have known all along that there was a nursing home in Robinson <laughs> Park, but we'll find out. So we have a little break before we go and meet the amazing Eunice Monroe, who like gets my gold star for this episode. But we have a little break where Turner has, has finally you know, picked the lock, gone into this place, and he is investigating the 
I, I actually did not click, like, first of all, I don't know what happened to my brain during this scene, but it did not <laughs> click in my head that they were investigating the office of the guy who died in the intro scene, even though they told us that. For some reason, I was just like, <laughs> where are they? What are they doing right now? Where did know. they go? <laughs> I got so distracted by all the good Felix content and <laughs> Butcher of Gotham stuff that, yeah, I just forgot that Turner existed for a minute there. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Turner. <laughs> Every, Sorry, everyone's Turner. forgetting he existed this episode. Uh, Yeah, so he walks into this office and initially it looks like somebody has maybe got there before them and it has been Mm -hmm. completely trashed. Um, They're sneaking in, in the dark, um, but they're not in there long before we get that very, it's such a trope and I love it, the gun cocking sound behind them. (laughs) Um, And I don't know that we ever get the guy's name, but it's the son of um, (coughs) uh, Pericles Jones. and he he has found them. He wants to know why they're breaking in. But actually, he's very reasonable, despite <laughs> recognizing Turner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, I feel like at this point, he's, you know, obviously dealing with a lot of grief over losing his father so suddenly and so shockingly in really in a way that makes no sense that like when these two show up, it's probably almost like, OK, you know what? Right. I'll like hear him out. Like, why not? Like, what do I have to lose? Everything else is crappy in my life right now. And maybe they actually do know why this happened. Yeah, he's clearly having a very bad day. Um, I wonder if there's also a little bit of him feeling a little bit of loyalty towards Turner because Mm -hmm. his dad was Bruce Wayne's lawyer and his dad, it turns out, had some information um, which uh, could help Turner's case a lot. So if he, as as he already knows that, he he tells Turner, um, I wonder if he already kind of suspected that Turner was innocent um, and is kind kind of playing into that. So um, he tells them that apparently his dad did make some changes to Bruce Wayne's will two weeks, no, two weeks, two days um, before he was murdered. So it wasn't that he was planning to make some changes, as we had been told up until Mm -hmm. this point, but that they had already been made. Um, And crucially, that they did not involve writing Bruce out of the will. Writing Bruce out of the will? Writing Turner (laughs) out of the will. Bruce yes. Wayne writes himself out of his own will. Um, <laughs> Which is huge because that's literally the entire motivation that the GCPD has had for them potentially trying to take down Bruce. Uh, so that's the biggest linchpin of their case that's not correct. And I like that they threw in that detail of them being like, oh, yeah, no, like we tried to tell the cop that was investigating that that wasn't the case. And they were like, oh, was it Ford? Because if it was Ford, that information did not make its way up the chain. I wrote this down specifically because. Um, uh, they, as they discuss this, sorry, <laughs> getting, getting all lost in my excitement over this line. Um, <laughs> so whatever this information was that was in the will. So his dad, um, actually said that it was going to change everything and make Bruce Wayne the greatest man in Gotham. So I'm like, what the heck is in this will that is going to make that big a difference? I'm assuming that it is the same thing that Bruce Wayne was referencing in those last pages of his journal that are now missing and crispy because Chrissy did decide to <laughs> toast them um, back in back in the first episode. So I, It was intriguing to me because the only thing I could think of was like massive donation to something, like, like all of his wealth going to like one particular cause that would really make a difference. But then I was thinking like the institutions in Gotham are so corrupt that like honestly, I don't know that, that like donating to a charity would even really... <laughs> 
do anything in Gotham because somebody's probably like embezzling from the foundation. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then also crucially too, in order for this to really exonerate Turner, it has to mean that Turner gets set up with a significant portion of money still out of this, right? Because otherwise the GCPD would be like, well, any reduction in the amount of money that Turner was going to get is enough of a motive for him to murder. So for them to be like, he's free and clear, it has to be something where Turner still walks away with a good amount of money. Yeah, I agree. And I think it also has to be something that would be shocking to Turner and would mm-hmm. affect him in some way. Otherwise, Bruce would not have been so worried about telling him. Exactly. Because um, yeah. he he very clearly in his journal was concerned about what was going to happen when Turner found out, mm-hmm. um, which indicates that there probably is a point where Turner was supposed to find out. Um, otherwise, Bruce wouldn't have been so worried about it. <laughs> yeah. And if, and if he only literally just made those changes... You have to assume that he was probably planning to sit down and talk to him and then just never had the chance. So yeah, lots going on with that. We don't have too many clues yet as to what that could be. I just think there are certain things that we can eliminate through all the stuff that we just talked about. But yeah, big mystery. Still working Mm -hmm. on that one. A brief mention of the scene that we have where Harvey goes to talk to Soto, to Commissioner. Ends up being a discussion about the bomb and the mutant gang and whether it's a copycat crime or anything else. So it's, it's a very brief scene, but there are a couple of mentions in there like she mentions um the gazette which is like the kind of iconic gotham gazette newspaper in i think all batman lore i'm pretty sure every comic book run every movie tv show they've all used the gotham gazette um because it's been kind of like part of the mythos since like i want to say the early 1940s like it's 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 been around so i like <laughs> that even though it, it wasn't a big part of this scene there was a little little name drop for the gotham gazette in there um, also, tiny little detail, but details from the costume team and the um, just the set dresses in this particular show are just mind-blowing to me. It's and so wonderful. cool. So there is a scene where she um, has a mug on her desk, and it is a fox mug, which I absolutely loved because foxes hunt owls. <laughs> and I was like, it's so tiny and and not like, you know, it's not going to change anything if somebody yeah. does or doesn't notice that, but it's just those fun little details that I absolutely love. It's so um, fun. It's like a little Easter egg hunt. Every single time you turn the screen on, you're like looking in the background for those little details. And like you said, for a casual viewer, it's just a, like window dressing. It doesn't really have to matter. But if you're somebody who's really reading into it and caring about every little thing, it's just a nice little touch. Yeah. And I think that's how you know that like most of the crew who work on this are familiar with DC and have a passion for this project because you, you have the big Easter eggs, which obviously are being put in by the writers initially in the script. They are the, the big things, the key things that they want to reference. Then you have the next layer coming in where it's like, okay, we're going to address this character this way and we're going to reference mm-hmm. this, this, and this with it. And then again, even down, it, like every person in the chain basically has a chance to infuse the show yes. with like another layer of little tiny Easter eggs getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I just love that because when the writers sat down, they probably weren't like, oh, on her desk, make sure there's a mug with a fox <laughs> on it. So at some point somebody went, oh, you know what would be cool? I'm going to do that. Or they just, you know, looked in the prop closet and were like, oh, we have all these mugs. Oh, this one has a fox on it. That works. <laughs> yeah, that's just clever. Like that's nice. Yeah. So this uh, conversation is basically about the bomb that was found in the mayor's car or what was left of the bomb one has to assume <laughs> um and that it's is it possible that the mutant gang were trying to copycat what was done or um is it something that the court of owls did so harvey name drops mm-hmm. the court of owls to the commissioner and she 
seems almost kind of amused um, by yeah. kind of scoffing at it, which have a feeling which is we'll scoffing so by the end of the season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's also very funny to me because she was like, yeah, like every low level perp like tries to say like the Court of Owls made them do it. And I'm like, well, how many of those people should you have actually taken seriously, though? Because maybe yes. a lot of them actually were doing this because they had to. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems... makes you wonder how many wrongly imprisoned people they have. <laughs> in this jurisdiction so many so many (laughs) because apparently they're terrible at doing their jobs they don't cross-reference their files and they don't listen when they tell them someone else did it yeah that there's a criminal conspiracy afoot that perhaps they should look into i do appreciate that it seems like she is not like they're not implying that she's in on it like it very much seems like even though she's in a position of power she's not in with the owls so it sort of shows that there are some public figures who are untouched by them um yes. or at the very least are being allowed to operate as they currently are because they're not a threat to the owls but i have to imagine if she starts digging in <laughs> to their yeah. investigation then maybe maybe she won't be commissioner for much longer maybe i'm at the moment she kind of feels like she's filling in our like commissioner gordon kind of slot mm-hmm. um which is interesting. I like that we have this this character doing that. I, and I like that she did immediately kind of scoff about the owls, but she didn't say that she hadn't heard of them. She brought in yeah. all of that. The thing that I found most interesting was Harvey's reaction because he seemed at this specific point in this scene to not know a lot about the owls. Like he's, yeah. he's digging, he's trying to find information. There are other scenes where I would argue that it almost seems like he does know a little bit about them. For mm-hmm. example, when he was talking to Turner when the bomb yes. was happening, yes. he did not bat an eye at, mm-hmm. at, at hearing that the owls were, air quotes, a real thing at the time. Like that did not seem to surprise him. So we have these these two things here, which And it's my... almost like he has two parts of his mind that aren't yeah, talking to almost. each other. And mm. one part of the mind does know about the owls and one part of the mind doesn't. And so it's ringing yes. this weird bell for him that he can't quite shake. Like, why is this ringing a bell for me? It shouldn't ring a bell for me. Yeah. Well, my hope slash theory ever since they they brought the owls in is that maybe we're going to have a Two-Face where um, the darker Two-Face is a member of the owls and the other Two-Face is not. I think that would be interesting um, that he's essentially trying to solve his own crimes. <laughs> I think that would be. <laughs> I mean, I think that would be really cool. As we see later, he essentially is already. Yes. I think that would be incredibly cool. So I like that. <laughs> but I think it's very noticeable in that scene that he genuinely doesn't seem to know yeah. anything about vowels. And he's kind of asking around um, and, and it's just very suspicious, but doesn't seem to know anything at this point. So, all right, we better get back to the best scene in the entire maybe in the entire show so far i don't know just talking about dweller's outfit to start with (laughs) we love a girl who can pull off like angry like rocker punk rock chick and also this nice little private school girl with her little uniform and the blonde hair the blonde hair was impressive like that was like a white blonde and she was rocking it honestly (laughs) <laughs> Olivia Rose Keegan has like a face for wigs because she has not had her real hair once this entire show and you wouldn't know <laughs> just because yeah. she's one of those people who can tolerate a wig well which not everyone can yeah very true but now she looks brilliant in this she's she's pulling off this very <laughs> kind of like preppy kind of look um even then like she has more personality than most of the Gotham Academy students that we've seen yeah. like <laughs> 
she's she's suppressing as much as she can i think she's getting a lot of joy out of making carrie uncomfortable <laughs> which yes. is very cute i i loved all of carrie's like little faces when duella was just being just that little too loud like just a little bit too herself and yeah. she's standing there like oh please don't blow our cover <laughs> like please don't do anything crazy i love that um uh, she seems to love making people slightly uncomfortable mm-hmm. because i think Coming back to her difficult childhood and like the trauma response there, like if you're making someone uncomfortable, it means that they're perceiving you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means that that you exist and you're being seen, um, which probably wasn't something that she felt very much when she was yeah. little. And it's it's a way for her to do that without forming any emotional attachment with people mm-hmm. because you don't form an emotional attachment with somebody who makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And so she's, she's also kind of throwing also being seen. that uncomfortableness back at people because people have probably always judged her and been mean to her because of her background, because of who she mm-hmm. is. So she's making them feel just as crappy as they've made her feel, which yeah. is not a good cycle to get stuck in, Duella. Come on now. <laughs> it's it's not. But I don't know. I, part of me kind of respects her for it because it would be so yeah. easy for that character to have just kind of laid down and accepted the way people treated her. Yeah. But she is very dedicated to subtly pointing out that it's not right. And Mm -hmm. I love that this is one of the ways that she's doing that. Yes. And I love her directness with this character. I think this duo is my new favorite chaos duo. I wanted more of Duella hanging out with Eunice just because I feel like she's the one other person on the planet who might actually be able to understand Duella. (laughs) Yes. And for most of this scene, they genuinely seem to be getting along quite yeah. well. Like, they are having some some bonding moments here. As <laughs> Carrie looks on in absolute horror, <laughs> she's having <laughs> bonding moments. Just the fact that they're both like, yeah, no, me too. Like, my dad was also a serial killer. Like, tell me about it. Like, I know exactly how you're feeling. Yes. That scene where it's like, or that part of the scene where it's like, it's a secret. And they do the little pinky swear. Oh. I was just like, oh, my heart. <laughs> because Duella likes the weirdos. I think Duella likes people who are just exactly what they say they are. She doesn't like people who are trying to trick you or trying to be nice and actually be fake. Like, as long as you're up front with her, she's fine with that. Like, if you're an awful person, but you don't try to hide it, she's like, cool, whatever. I'll accept you for the awful person that you are. But if you're trying to hide it, that's where she gets upset. So I think that connection with Eunice is like, okay, I'll relate to you on your level. You're not trying to hide anything from me. You're just this old lady who is going around the bend and has had some really horrific things happen to her. So I am just going to take you exactly as you are. Whereas I yes. think Carrie is a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> because <laughs> just, a little, <laughs> just a little bit uncomfortable with the, with the, you know, the blood conversation and the knife conversation. But, you know, she's trying. She's she's letting Duella take the lead. <laughs> yes. Um, I absolutely loved uh, Eunice's costuming in this. Mm-hmm. Like, massive shout out to Jennifer May Nickel for this one. Mm-hmm. Because they almost exactly replicated um, Veronica Cartwright's costume from The Birds that yes! she wore in, like, whenever that came out, like 1960-something. It's so good. It's such a good reference. Yes. So absolutely love it. We can bring everything back to birds in this if we try hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's also wearing, like, a pin, which I I think was a crane. Um, so there's a bird pin there as well. Um, there's probably more to that, but I'm not familiar enough with, with <laughs> what that could be. Um, there was also a, a, a 
tiny, tiny nod, whether deliberate or not. Um, but I, I think enough of this costume designer that I'm going to call it deliberate anyway. <laughs> that um, the costuming, the tan color of the kind of like cardigan that she was wearing over the top of the, the little blouse. Um, if you look up the costumes for the DC version of the Butcher of Gotham, he has like a tan kind of portion like across across the chest and, and the front there um very similar color so pulling that in and then relating it back to veronica cartwright's own iconic bird related character it's just so cool just genius just genius we love it <laughs> okay i feel better now that i've managed to gush about eunice but <laughs> <laughs> we love her more eunice please she survived the episode so technically we could yeah she could come back i mean listen i was all good with eunice until she started doing that little chant at the end where she was going through the nursery rhyme that was just pure evil <laughs> i did not need any more of that <laughs> i don't need that energy i love how like she was very particular as well she was just like he didn't butcher anybody he was precise yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like defending the legacy. I love the um music boxes. I thought that was a really nice touch. Very creepy. Um, but also something that could conceivably be like a gift to a little kid. Like you understand, like uh, it works on that level, but then you're also like music boxes are the creepiest thing on earth. Uh yep. creepy children, also very scary. Yeah. So they so we were getting a creepy lot old of, lady like, with but she yeah. does seem, even though she was playing an old lady role, she does seem quite childlike yeah. sometimes, which again just made her even more of a Duella mirror to me. Because mm-hmm. I can imagine Duella being that old lady <laughs> like by, by the no, time absolutely. she's old 100% that could be her um, and Duella is also kind of has that like naive vibe to her like even though she's very street smart and she does all these things like she can fight she can do all the stuff she's very sarcastic all that kind of thing like we do see that like she makes very impulsive decisions sometimes that are very like a little mm-hmm. kid like she doesn't think through the full implications of things all the time like she just kind of says things without thinking about it so it was nice in that way too to kind of literally like you said see like an adult do <laughs> what that's gonna yeah. look like so did you clock the tune that the music box was playing why don't you tell me what tune the music well, box is playing? I've seen some speculation. I need to go back and try and like isolate it and compare mm-hmm. because apparently that's just what I have time to do in life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded like it was playing isolated notes from one of the uh, Batman movie theme tunes. Specifically, um, I've seen speculation that it was Batman Forever. Um, I'll have to I'll have to do some close listening right. to find out if that's true. Um, but. It would be pretty cool if it was. It would be pretty cool. Given I could definitely the see the that coming from of all the department. other music stuff that we have had in this show oh, so sure. far. Would not put it past them at all. I think that would be would be great. Once again, all these departments are competing against each other to see who can get as many <laughs> references into their work as possible. Yes. Okay. So, Felix, um, she refers to his victims as his prey, which mm-hmm. I also loved, given that he was a talent and owl. So nicely done. And uh, I love that she genuinely seems to believe when she says it she says that they got what they deserved and that's why yep. she kind of kind of flips and grabs <laughs> Duella's arm um but it comes back to that thing again of like the owl probably think they're the good guys they genuinely do they think yeah. they are running the city protecting everything and they're giving these people what they deserve because i maintain most bad guys probably think that they are the good guys yeah they have to have some kind of internal sense making them make that decision yes so, and she's also referencing um, every every time that she talks about the Butcher of Gotham, when she's talking about Felix, she is talking about him in present tense, which definitely comes into play later. Which should be a clue. Yes, <laughs> that should maybe. be a clue. 
if I remember right from the comics, I'm pretty sure that the initial storyline in um, the Court of Owls comics had him being the Talon in like 1860 something, or maybe it was 1860, possibly, um, which would make him like 150 something math. I don't know, 100 many <laughs> years old. 100 many years old, yes. <laughs> um, but she is still referring to him in in present tense. So, mm-hmm. um, so she grabs Duella panic escape they do they do manage to run away um i love that carrie has the sense to immediately as soon as something goes wrong try and steal like steals the guest book on the way out yeah because they signed yes. in on the way in and i really want to know what they signed in as <laughs> i know. know they did not use their real names <laughs> to sign in so i just want to know what they wrote in that desk book <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I th- that was really that was another situation where Carrie was just being very smart in a tense situation, which good for her because I was too busy focusing on that creepy, creepy nursery rhyme yes. <laughs> and watching them run away. <laughs> yeah, Carrie does really, really well under pressure. Like it brings out mm-hmm. the the best in her, I think, because in the scene earlier where she was talking about like suggesting that maybe they should look something up for the knives because maybe they were used on more people like she seems so uncertain when she's saying that and she's like oh i don't know like is this crazy yeah. do you think it's a crazy thing to be thinking and she she second guesses herself a lot mm-hmm. and she seems very uncertain but when you put her under pressure like this immediately she is just making the right decision and reacting doing the right thing like this girl thrives under pressure <laughs> absolutely 100% Whereas Duella was kind of in that moment a little bit more scrambled and kind of yes. running after her. Yes. She, she was definitely a bit more panicked than Carrie mm-hmm. was. Uh, Turner says that he is going to go and talk to Cressida. Which, <laughs> Bad move. Don't do don't it. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he does have this touching moment where he kind of explains to the, the rest of the, the Bat Brat Pack uh why he has so much faith in her and, and why he believes believes in her which is is very touching if we hadn't already seen if her we didn't as... already know that she was full of crap <laughs> yeah um but you know touching otherwise <laughs> well it really underscores just how um alone he is like yeah Cressida's it or at least that's how he sees himself right he sees himself as alone because as much as, like, these new people are his friends, like, you know, they, they haven't known each other long. There's a history of some backstabbing there. It They're all together, but it's sort of a means to an end at this point. Like, I don't think that any of them see their friendships as being these, like, lifelong things after they've cleared their names. I think they're all just going to go their separate ways or so they think. Um, so for him, this really is, like, the last link, not only to his old life, but just to people who love him, which is really, yeah. really bleak. <laughs> it, it is, and it kind of goes back to that little speech he made right at the beginning about that he's losing everybody that cared about him. Um, and I'm sorry, buddy, but you're about to lose one more. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, rough. Um, so yeah, we go into Wayne Mara, Wayne Manor. Cannot talk too excited. Um, <laughs> Cressida is reading. Am I the only person that when I see someone reading something on TV and it's not the focus of the scene, they're just like chilling as the scene begins, I just desperately want to know what she was reading. Yeah, like, what <laughs> was she in the middle really of? Want to know. Yeah, <laughs> like I always want to know. Once he lets himself in, she gets up and she gives him this slightly creepy, like he goes in for a hug because they haven't seen each other. And as far as he's concerned, she's probably relieved that he's alive and okay, or at least okay enough to be there. <laughs> um, but it's this very creepy, like open-eyed hug that she gives him. Now, obviously you don't have to close your eyes when you hug people. It's fine. Yeah. But there is that sense that if you're really happy to see somebody and it's like a really good tight hug, like 
you know, that the, there's a softness to it. Yeah. Um, but she is like fully eyes wide open, like staring into the distance over his the back. The vibes are off from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> they don't start off well. Definitely. Um, but she says that she's going to help him. Mm-hmm. And once he explains about the will, she says that she's going to go look. And then, and then our boy's world just crumbles further <laughs> when she comes back with a gun and and holds it up. And of course, we had him on the phone with his crew not five seconds before she comes back with that gun to let him know far too late that he should not be trusting Cressida. I mean, there were just a lot of revelations about her and her involvement with the owls in this episode that I think is really interesting. Because before we were kind of theorizing about how, just how involved is she? Like, is she mm-hmm. just a messenger? Like, what is her role in the organization? It's pretty clear she's, like, pretty high up. Like, this was not, like, a low-ranking member. Like, she's definitely a part of this crew, reluctantly or not. And I also liked that we had more scenes with Stephanie and Cullen helping to figure that out, too. It was all very well done to get him to that awful realization just before the proof of it is in front of him, which I thought was really well done. For him to be like, oh, no, don't worry. She's fine. Turns around and she's literally pointing a gun at him. It was like, oh, well, sorry, kiddo. I love that. All, like all of these kids are very smart in their own ways. I mean, we kind of have the focus that like Stephanie and Harper are like the very smart ones. They're mm-hmm. the ones who who can do all of the the bomb making and the lock picking and all this other kind of stuff. However, they're all very intelligent in their own ways. Like during that scene, you can see that Cullen is maybe more people smart than mm-hmm. the rest of them are in certain ways. Like you can see, you can like see. I mean, kudos to Tyler again for his act there you can see him making connections in his head like you can see it across his face before he even says anything when he's putting things together like this kid is very street smart like he unfortunately lived a rough life to get him to be that way but he uses it to his advantage now and i feel like he's pretty good at reading people like he was one of the first of them to reach out to Dwella a little bit more and kind of start to befriend her and i think that's because he saw maybe before the rest of them started to that she's not a terrible person. Like she's done terrible things and came from a terrible place, but she herself is not a terrible person. Um, So, and I think he kind of saw that maybe a little bit earlier than some of the others did because he's got that more emotional And he makes those connections about Stephanie so quickly, just from like these little clues that she's dropping and things that she's saying about her life. Like she's not giving up very much information. It's not like Stephanie's walking around and like just being like, oh yeah, like my mom has a problem with pills, like immediately. Like she's not, she's just kind of saying these little things that are ringing bells for him. And he waits until the right moment to kind of call her out on it. Like he has that instinctive kind of knowing when to let her talk and sort of drop more hints versus when to be like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, explain that a little bit more. Like, he just knows exactly when to push. Easily in that previous scene, close to the beginning, he could very easily have just said to her, well, what do you mean by that? Uh But he didn't. He held on to that information was like, no, it's not the right time. Like, he's got that emotional intelligence to know and then to press that little bit further when they're talking about these toxicology reports that they're looking at, um, talking about there being some kind of unknown drug in the bodies of the victims of the court mm-hmm. or of the Talon specifically. And that's kind of when he's like, okay, this would be a good time to push. She's she's opening up a little bit more now. So, yep. And even then, he doesn't question her. He just yep. gives her a very pointed opening where he is waiting for her to talk and he makes it clear that he's waiting for her to talk, but he doesn't push her even then. 
Yeah. He just lets her come out with it. And it's very interesting that she decides to tell him that despite having never even told Turner. Yep. Um, obviously, she thinks that he can probably relate because of the uh-huh. home that he grew up in. And he shares that information to make her feel safe about opening up as well. So I love that. I think it's very interesting that given how close Steph and Turner seem to be, there's clearly this whole part of her life that Stephanie has hidden from him. Yes. Yes. And we've seen that from the start, because even at the beginning when she was first hanging out with Brody at the party and Turner was kind of acting all surprised and like, oh, like, I didn't know you were like hanging around with Brody. Like, there's a lot of things about Stephanie's life that she was keeping from Turner, like very clearly, or at the very least that maybe Turner, not to not to pile on our little buddy Turner here, but maybe some things that Turner just didn't pick up on. (laughs) Like, maybe just some things that were. (laughs) I feel like he was quite self-absorbed up until this point um and we even got a little bit of that at the beginning of this episode with his kind of his his old emo wine that he had at the beginning (laughs) again he's not right he's not wrong about any of those things (laughs) but the way he presents it and he does seem like he's a little bit Mm self-absorbed um which i think throughout the season we're probably going to see that dismantled quite spectacularly at points like it's going to have to happen um his life is a little different these days yes but I like that. And it's kind of a good reminder of that. Yeah, he probably didn't notice that there was anything wrong with Stephanie's home life. He probably didn't notice her not going home until super late or anything like that. Whereas Colin notices it instantly and makes that connection. Like, uh-huh. oh, so that's why you're not going home and you're hanging out doing this with me. <laughs> yeah, like, that, You would literally rather be solving crimes with fugitives than going home. Okay, that's interesting. Make, make a note of that. Yeah. So Colin... Clicks onto that immediately. Apparently, Turner, 10 years, not worked it out yet. (laughs) Which is also why I will plug yet another ship that I am now interested in is the Stephanie Cullen ship. I know it's not going to happen. Literally, it's not going to happen. But they were very sweet together. Even if it's just more friendship, I want more for both of them, like to have more scenes together, because I think that Stephanie needs someone outside of her usual circle to kind of confide in and talk to about these things. And as much as Colin is kind of presenting himself as like this, ah, I've been around the block with an alcoholic parent. I know how this whole thing goes. I'll be your person to help you. I think also he probably needs someone to talk to about these things too, because as much as he has his sister, it's nice to talk to someone who's not related to you, who wasn't in that situation about these things that happened to you and to get that outside perspective. Yeah, because there's probably, you know, they probably don't talk about it a lot like mm-hmm. him and Harper. Like, why would they? She was there too. She yeah. knows everything that he knows. Sometimes explaining something to something else, like it, it's like a form of therapy. That's that's part of why talk therapy works. Like you're talking through something and in choosing the words to present it to someone else, you are helping yourself in a certain way so in in the absence of an actual therapist which these kids all do desperately need desperately i suppose it will do for them to talk amongst themselves it will yeah and if they happen to do it on camera even better (laughs) so all good but yeah colin is i think very quickly becoming kind of like the glue of this group like Mm -hmm. maybe he's not the main character who got accused of a murder like turner maybe he's not the crazy fun joker's daughter or whatever but he is very quickly becoming somebody who is forging connections with all of these individual characters. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, a longtime avid TV watcher that does set off alarm bells and I'm now worried because yes. I'm like, okay, there is something going to happen to Cullen, which is then going to force all of these other people exactly. to act. And let's hope not. But 
Yeah, let's know. really hope not. I, I'm speaking directly to the writers here. Um, please leave Cullen alone. Actually, <laughs> he is precious, and I want all the good things for him. Yes, we love Cullen. So, <laughs> presidents of his fan club here. Yes, absolutely. But going back to the scene in the library now, so he's found that information from them. He knows that Crescent is bad news. He turns around. She's got the gun. Now we've confirmed it. Um, I thought that that scene between the two of them was excellent. Um, Oscar has been doing a lot of really good work in in this episode and other episodes of just kind of portraying that like depth of like despair that he has and just the sense of betrayal like that whole scene there was so much anger and sadness and hurt there and you could tell all of it just from his performance it was amazing yeah like oscar really knocked it out of the park with that like he's saying so much with just those expressions Mm -hmm. um and and he just seems so hopeless like he's just like well you know if this is it even when jump jump ahead a few seconds to even when the rest of the owls uh or some owls as we don't know <laughs> anywhere near how many there are but uh some owls conveniently enter in my head Cressida must have just had like an emergency owl button somewhere out there <laughs> she was just like oh no <laughs> summon the owls they have a bad signal but it's just for the owls it's a separate yeah. one <laughs> yeah owl signal yeah yes um uh, because these owls descend descend on the on the house with the, the creepiest oh. masks ever they're so these scary masks are brilliant they're so good but they're so scary and at all oh, like and i actually that was the one of the few comics references that i actually did catch the first time around because i saw so many people sharing the cover of like a couple of like the court of owls like comics and i was like wow the attention to detail really is incredible because those masks look just like the ones that they had on the cover yeah that they're, they're so good um that even I would say slightly elevated from that. Like there was actually like a collector's edition of one of the Batman comics of the Court of Owls uh, comics. I think it was like a um, the collected edition of all the comics together, and you could buy a special edition of it, which had a Court of Owls mask in with it. So in my universe, all of these Court of Owls people just you know went down to GameStop and bought themselves the special editions. <laughs> I absolutely love those masks. The, this version has a darker eye compared to a lot of the other versions of this mask, which I absolutely love because it makes them look like um, kind of like barn owl faces, mm-hmm. um, which barn owls are like brilliant hunters. They're supposed to be like some of the most silent uh, hunters out there when it comes yes. to it, which obviously plays into the court of owl stuff just brilliantly. Um, I also noticed that the masks had like some some kind of cracking on them almost like an eggshell sort of cracking which looked very awesome kind of serves to you know give a sense of age even though it's 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 deliberate these masks clearly aren't that old but get the impression that the court of owls are like very highly reliant on tradition and how long they've been handing things down so oh yeah you you get it's cult vibes it's cult vibes going on in that room yeah you you get the idea they would be the people who are like oh we need to make this look older and reference blah 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 so mm-hmm. i really liked it i loved that instead of just being like crack random cracks or aging it really did look like someone was cracking an eggshell which was pretty cool um and and you know you get the thought then of like what's under the cracks like who is underneath yes exactly and that was the whole thing i was thinking the entire scene i was seeing so many different theories from so many different people about who was under those masks especially our sort of like primary owl that we had because there mm-hmm. were like many owls in the room but there was really only one that was like speaking to turner and speaking to cressida in that moment and i saw some people saying that there were some people who were theorizing that it was harvey under the mask which i don't 
think is the case because I think I, I would have so either. I think I would have so. recognized Misha Collins because I've spent a lot of time <laughs> watching Misha Collins over the years. I think I would have picked up on that, but never say never. <laughs> I'm not the most observant. <laughs> For me, it was the hair didn't mm-hmm. look quite right from the back. Now this is <laughs> Can you recognize Misha Collins' hair from the back? I don't know. Um, Maybe 15 pieces of Supernatural helps with that. (laughs) But I was thinking that maybe there could very easily be a situation where Court of Owls Harvey does style his hair slightly differently to non-Court of Owls Harvey. The one thing that made me question where maybe it could be, and we're just kind of being misled in some ways is did you notice the tie on that owl (laughs) i did notice this tie it was very interesting what they did with that tie because as we've come to know harvey's ties are a very important indicator of his character uh and yeah that was an interesting choice for design (laughs) if it's not harvey (laughs) yeah it it was pretty intricate for like that wasn't just a basic tie knot that most people are gonna go with um so I am on the fence right now. Could be mm-hmm. Harvey, could not. Um, I didn't the immediately voice didn't sound like him though. That was my no, other. The voice thing. didn't sound like him, and I did not immediately like look at his body. I'm so sorry. I hope that Misha Collins never finds out about this podcast. <laughs> I didn't immediately look at the body and be like, "Yep, that's my Misha." That like didn't didn't do it. No, um, it didn't so... really. It, it, and then somebody else. I was seeing some other people saying maybe it's like Lincoln under there. Um, but I, I also, I yeah. didn't quite get Lincoln vibes either. I, it almost felt like it was a character we didn't know yet. Like someone that we hadn't really met yeah. outside of this. Was he tall enough to be Lincoln? But I don't Lincoln think Lincoln is so. even taller than Misha is. He is. Like he's a very tall dude. And the, the body type that I was looking at, I was like, I don't think it really matches Harvey or Lincoln. I think it's a different person entirely. Yeah. And of course that could be some misdirection. They could certainly be dressing people differently to sort of throw us off that scent. But yeah. I was intrigued by the tie that was like the one thing that i was like hmm that looks like a harvey tie but nothing else about him like matched for me yeah i was i was very interested by that i, I think it's definitely something that clearly they don't want us to know yet exactly yep. um but i will be paying very close attention to every middle-aged male character that we meet from this <laughs> point onwards and possibly you know cross-referencing the slope of their shoulders against a certain court <laughs> <Wow>, member <laughs> <laughs> we will figure it out. <laughs> we will determine who that person was. <laughs> yep. So basically they're kind of impressed by Turner. He's he's done a lot better than they thought he was going to, which I mean at that point, like, gee, thanks. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm glad you're impressed by you failing to kill me. I don't know. But what I like about the scene is that like yes they're flattering turner like yes they're like you're you've impressed us so you're doing so much better than we ever would have thought but i think part of that was also just to get him to join them because i think that the old turner or at least the image that people had of him was of this self like righteous kid who was like this little son of a billionaire very privileged all this kind of stuff so they're flattering him they're saying they think he's good at what he's doing and if they succeed then they essentially get a mini batman who is on their payroll which is something that's like very significant for them would be very helpful for them so i wasn't as much as some of the praise may have been genuine, I think a lot of it was like, listen, bud, like, you want all this stuff to go back to normal, right? Like, you want your old life back. You want to be cool. You want everyone thinking you're awesome. We can do that for you, you know? Um, yeah. Which, interesting that that Turner doesn't contemplate that offer seriously. You know, he definitely doesn't even take it for 
a second. He's smart enough to know a bad offer when he sees one. Yeah, and I, and I think that's good. I I think that that was kind of a mistake in their pitch, in that they mm-hmm. are pitching to a version of Turner that they have destroyed. Yep. Um. So even though. I mean, yeah, that probably would have been a, a tempting offer to a month ago Turner. But he was also, month ago Turner was also putting up a front. So they're yes. also pitching to a front of who they think Turner is based on all the stuff from the outside view looking in. But like internally, I don't think he would have even taken that deal a month ago. I think he still would have had enough of a moral compass that he wouldn't have. And that's the mistake that they're making is that they're not looking deeper than the surface with him. Yeah, that's true. And that's definitely from what we, especially a lot of what we saw in the first episode, a mistake that a lot of people seem to make about mm-hmm. Turner that he wanted them to make. Exactly. Maybe. Like he chose to, to put that out there yes. to protect himself or whatever it may be that he he decided. But that is very interesting. But I do think they are kind of pitching to that extinct version of Turner. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that they don't realize that or to haven't contemplated how everything that they have done in the past few weeks might have changed him. Um, yes. So, but we are starting to see that it's changed him, and mm-hmm. who he will become is is still a mystery. But I'm quite excited by it. I I do think like Rebel Turner is going to be much honestly much yes. more interesting than Good Boy Turner. <laughs> and his hair is probably going to get more interesting too. The more he yes, does the we had somebody um, tweet <laughs> us uh, that they they took this fantastic screenshot of him with like literally two hairs out of place, which I just think is awesome. Like you can see them in his hairstyling. So I think Rebel Turner's hair is definitely going to be a little bit more messy, a little bit more. Yeah, because there's definitely some marketing pictures where yes. his hair does look like the. Um, I don't know if you've seen like the HBO Max uh, marketing where they've been using that yep. poster of the five of them. Like his hair does not look as perfect in that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a little bit messier, so. a little bit messier. Even just the promo photos that we've gotten for upcoming episodes, you can tell he's a little bit more rough and tumble as time goes on. Yes. Charting Turner's descent into Annika, he threw hair. <laughs> That's what we're here for, folks. <laughs> yes. So love it. So uh, he sells them no. And that's when the talent appears. And I love the fact that they have so much faith in this guy that they just all turn and leave. Like, oh, I don't want to risk blood splatters on my mask. These things are a bitch to clean. (laughs) To to be (laughs) fair to them, I also would think that we had a pretty good shot considering the talent is an undead freak of nature and this kid does not know how to pick a lock. I think that I would also feel pretty good about my chances. They did not count on Carrie. <laughs> they did not count on our girl, Carrie Robin, coming right through. Yet again, sort of using a gadget. Yes. And not quite knowing how it's going to go, but it works out in their favor anyway. And they're able to make that that. So Turner was holding his own moderately well for a few seconds. Like he <laughs> immediately, he, he managed to get the gun from Cressida, which we have to mm-hmm. say, good move. Um, yep. Kind of made it look like he was going to drop the phone, got her to reach for it, managed to s- swipe the gun from her. Um, and he was emptying that thing into the talent. Like, he was full on. <laughs> well, that's what was just... so funny. He was not saving a bullet. He was no, just gonna... not a one. He was just, just going for it. Do them all. <laughs> just get rid of them all. Like, he didn't just want to kill him. He wanted him very dead. So he was just like, <laughs> I'm just going to empty this whole thing. Plus, they have had experience with this guy before. Yes. They know that. You know, the, the, he probably knew even as he was firing, like, these bullets aren't going to do anything, but <laughs> yeah, even if I'm not going to try. <laughs> like, 
But Carrie showing up is always, I, I really just love her always kind of saving him and like jumping in and, and being the one to bring him back. You can just picture them calling her in a panic, like, oh my God, Turner's stuck at that. You have to go after him. And she's like, oh, okay, fine. I'll leave my algebra fine. homework and, and go after Turner. Yeah. Like AP bio is struggling right now, but <laughs> as long as Turner is safe. Yep, she immediately gets in there, uses the gadget, like you say, and they run into the Batcave. I was so happy to get another shot of the Batcave because yes. we, we'd kind of reached the the portion of the show where I was kind of like, well, we've probably seen the last of the Batcave now. We're kind of, you know, more centered in the Belfry. That's going to be our, mm -hmm. like, HQ for these kids. So just to get another shot of the Batcave made me very happy, um, even if Carrie did blow up a little part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so... Which, I mean, was a smart move. They weren't make, getting any, uh, making things any easier by shooting him. He wasn't really slowing him down at all. Uh, we got some crossbow action. Even that wasn't really slowing him down very much. But she did manage to bring down part of the rock ceiling of the Batcave, which was very well done. I was kind of curious, yeah. like, how much of that was, like, CGI and how much of that was, like, physical effects. Because it looked really good. Um, it did. <laughs> um, so they, they managed to escape. Um, the talent, as far as we are aware at this point, is, is under all those rocks and having a yep. bad old time. Yep, so... he's totally dead. No way that guy is coming back. Mm -hmm. So, but I do want to talk about how much damage the talent takes even before that point. And he yeah. is just coming at them, still, still walking. So I don't know if you remember me talking about the talent toxin that they had back in the comic books where they used to give the talent this toxin and it gave them regenerative abilities and it made them stronger and kept them uh, like living longer. Um, so I, th that still 100% made me think of that. I was like, okay, so yep. clearly they're using that. We already know that the Court of Owls uses toxins from earlier in the yep. episode because of the blades being dipped in something or other. Um, so to me... Whereas I saw a lot of people just being like, necromancy, to me, it was more like, no, more science to me. Combination. Um, Combination. As a girly who loves magic, I have to say, <laughs> yes. I did really enjoy the necromancy aspect of this. I also really loved later when they have the talent on the table and they're all just staring at him. Just <laughs> they're like, just waiting on, for him to come back. Like, wake up. <laughs> they're not doing yeah, anything. I yeah, they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're literally just waiting like... Come on, we got places to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we need you to go out and kill somebody else now. Um, but I, I like the combination of magic and science. I like mm -hmm. because obviously with Batman, Batman is known as being a superhero who's really built from tech and from having all of these very sciencey things that allow him to be the hero that he is. So I like that this world has that, has your Batcave, has your hackers, has all the technology, but you also have this sort of paranormal element as well coming yeah. into play here it's not as strong as the science but it's there no, and i, I like it has always been more on the sciencey front but even within the comics there are villains which mm -hmm. definitely have powers that are more magic related and things like that so while i wouldn't go out immediately to say oh yeah magic is a big thing in the batman universe um there's definitely there's definitely some some supernatural elements to yes. certain things in the verse. I kind of like that that seems to be what they're doing with this. They're not immediately being like, oh, this was magic. Like the yeah. the owls weren't there with like candles or chanting or anything like that. They didn't kind Missed of lean opportunity. Into that. Missed opportunity. Come on now. You're you're not telling me you wouldn't want to see a bunch of owls holding candles and like I mean, chanting it over would his body. Make them just seem even more cult-like, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so. They already are. We're already way past the cult. <laughs> cult bridge yeah. here they're they're already there <laughs> i also love the fact that they were just stood around and it 
just waiting, just like the expectation. Like they had absolutely no doubt that he was just going to pop back up once yep. he was done crunching his rib cage back oh, into place. <laughs> that was both so satisfying and awful from a sound design perspective. Every time he was like crunch, I was like, oh, that's so gross. But I also I really loved it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that like makes you cringe, but in like a really good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, loved it. But they clearly had no doubt and they managed to with the way that the owls were just stood there not doing anything just waiting they very much gave you the impression like oh this is something that's happened like many times before like yeah fine um which again goes back to the fact that well this is this is felix obviously uh when we saw him being hung before um clearly they just you know waited a while brought him back let the either the toxin he'd been given and and is in his blood have time to do its thing or magic or however they're doing it mm-hmm. but yeah just just wait for him to kind of pop back it was up. just it was just a flesh wound as monty python yeah. would say it was just, just it's just nothing it's <laughs> just fine. a flesh wound which of course <laughs> brings about the question how do you kill a talon yep this... and that's that's an essential question for our little gang to figure yeah. out i mean are we talking like dismember him and put him in separate boxes or like what are we? <laughs> I like, think I think that's where you got to go, right? I mean, because if if the, if he is intact, like if his body is is intact, it can come back. Yeah. I would think you'd have to really you'd have to really go for it to be able to to keep that from coming back. That seems like a project for Dwella, to be honest. She can work on it. <laughs> I'm just picturing them all like working on their little individual things, and they're like, Dwella, you figure out the dismemberment and the. <laughs> You should be delighted. Yes. Should be she very happy. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's switch uh, briefly back. We've neglected Harvey. <laughs> okay, we have neglected Harvey. I'm sorry, Harvey. <laughs> that was <laughs> that's on all right. Me. We just got overexcited. Um, <laughs> so let's go back to Harvey trying to check out the coin. Yes. Okay. Our first little hint that maybe maybe something's very wrong with him, <laughs> yes. or maybe his first hint, because I feel like we've yeah. we've had we've had plenty, but this one seems to really start hitting home for him. Um, so we already had the thing in this episode with this key that he doesn't remember how he got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed to bother him, but it wasn't necessarily a big deal. He kind of shoved it in his pocket. He had a meeting to get to, whatever. Um, now he goes to check out this coin. Um, which is the specific uh, Athenian coin that was from Bruce Wayne when he was killed? Um, because oh, did we did we even say that uh, what's his name showed up? Like we just completely skipped over that. I think because <laughs> Lincoln March appeared um, and oh, has a coin yes. of his own. <laughs> and and in that moment, so, you're not really sure if Lincoln is playing Harvey. By saying, oh, I have this coin, like, you have to help me, like, I'm clearly in danger, or is Lincoln in on the whole thing and they're trying to figure out, like, what Harvey knows or draw him into this for other purposes, which I'm not sure where I land on that. I'm not sure either. And I feel like, I don't know, I feel like maybe the division in Harvey is doing a lot more work than we've really seen so mm-hmm. far. Like, I, I feel like there are probably a lot of little things that, like, he doesn't know he knows. Or <laughs> one of the things that um, came to mind to me was I saw somebody saying that um, during the scene where he met Rebecca March in the last episode, air quotes, when he met her. Um, First time. Um, but there is apparently a specific shot where he does actually look a little confused. And someone said, what if it's his alter ego that has met Rebecca and he has not? 
which is probably why he was a little confused by her response to that, which is interesting. Interesting. Very so, interesting because it, it would also mirror the same response that he gave Turner when Turner was talking about the Court of Owls. That sort of like pleasant face that doesn't really betray anything where you're kind of like, what do you know? Like what yeah. what memories do you have? Yeah. So I think it's it's interesting. We'll have to kind of see that there are many questions over what he remembers and doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. So um, I really liked that one. Um, I don't like Lincoln March, but that's okay because I'm not supposed to like him, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's great character. Like he's being exactly. played so well. Like he's one of those characters and the where the acting is so spectacular that all he has to do is smile and you hate him. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and even in that moment where he has the coin, like, and he's sort of trying to get that sympathy of like, I think they're after me next, like. I couldn't really bring myself to care all that much about it's the Court like, of Owls oh, going after shame. Oh, no. So they couldn't do we think that's genuine or do we think that's a misdirect from Lincoln? Uh, I, I At first I was like, it's a misdirect. Clearly he's trying to get under his skin somehow or try to get him to care before this election or whatever. But then the more I was like watching it again, his reaction does seem genuine. And it would make sense if Harvey's working with the Court of Owls. Yeah, and they're trying this to man get has rid just of, announced yeah. exactly. He's just announced his candidacy for mayor. Before they wouldn't have really cared about him, but now he's going up against their candidate. He's going up against their yes. preferred option, so they have to get rid of him. Yeah, which is exactly what happened with Hamilton Hill when he was mm-hmm. mayor. We were told in the previous episode that his uh, the person running against him had a little accident that the uh, court of owls yep. was responsible for. Exactly. Um, so, so it that, would make sense yeah. that they would go after him in that scenario of him just announcing his run. Yeah. So I, I lean more towards it being genuinely that he's that he's being targeted um, with the like 10% chance that maybe we're being played. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, anything in this show so far, we could be being played. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. He goes to check out this coin. Obviously, he's Probably got coins on the brain now that uh, Lincoln March has turned up and he wants to have another look at the one that was found on Bruce Wayne. Um, Probably wants to compare it to the one that uh, Lincoln March found and the one that was found with the mayor when he was blown up. Um, Or not blown up, guessed, I should say, actually. Yes. So um, he goes and, and the person who is trying to check it out is a little bit confused and asks him if he means check it in. Because he has already checked it out and does not remember. Mm-hmm. So we get this wonderful expression on his face where clearly he's trying not to make everyone else think that something is up, but he looks very concerned yep. <laughs> at that point. I mean, oh, yeah. which is it's reasonable. I would also be very concerned if there were, in one day, multiple things that I apparently just couldn't remember doing. I would be very concerned at that point. So... My thought at this point is we know that it's, obviously we know he's going to be Two-Face. We know that Two-Face has like a, a complete mental break between the two mm-hmm. sides of the characters. Um, there is some variation in how that happens. Yes. And so I was thinking on the Court of Owls who are clearly kind of kind of playing with Harvey at the moment. Like a lot of the things yeah. that they're doing are supporting him. They're playing mm-hmm. into him becoming the mayor. So I do wonder if they are also encouraging his mental break. There are yes. several scenes, and specifically in this one, I noticed with the coffee, we're back to the coffee. Yes, um, we right, made it to the coffee. <laughs> yeah, so right before that first thing happens, he has handed this cup of coffee. And it immediately made me think, okay, so 
as we know that the court of owls love to play with their toxins are they encouraging um harvey to start losing losing his his memories things like that are they basically encouraging the air quotes bad side the two-faced side which they are familiar with and they like to work with um and is I think familiar, at least my theory at this point, that he is yeah. familiar with the Court of Owls in that persona. Are they encouraging that by slowly kind of drugging him or giving him one of these toxins to? Because I think uh, earlier on when Cresta was talking about um, the toxins that she gave to Bruce, mm-hmm. she said that she gave him like small amounts in his food, like over time to weaken him. And I'm wondering if that's what's happening to Harvey. Now, Obviously, the point here is different. They're trying to weaken him mentally, yeah. not physically. But clearly, we know that it can go in kind of food and drinks and stuff like that undetected. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like Bruce would probably be a pretty suspicious dude. Yeah. So if there was anything slightly off about what he was eating, he would have picked he up would on know. it. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, that it's an option. Maybe the Court of Owls yeah. is 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 drugging him um i I think that 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 would be be, it would be interesting it would be a bit of a tactical error on their part i think because Mm -hmm. as much as that side might be useful to them as much as they might think that they want somebody like that on their side he's also very unpredictable in that yeah i think at this point they would probably be arrogant enough uh, which showed in the scene with that they probably believe that they could control him which Um, is not gonna happen um and also you need both sides of Mm -hmm. harvey for him to actually be useful to you because the law-abiding da who's running for mayor that's the external image that you need if you let the bad side take over all the time then he's not going to be the same candidate that all these people are supporting he's not going to be the da that people like um so you have to be careful (laughs) about how much you're letting and also too because if he's just running around doing all these extracurricular activities at night that he's not aware of you have to be very careful that he's not caught doing any of those things because he's a recognizable figure in gotham like yeah the fact that he had the key and we'll probably talk about this more later but like the fact that he it's implied that he's the one who did that with the bomb with the mayor like that's something he easily could have been caught doing that's something that i would have assumed that they would have sent like a henchman or an underling to do who's not so recognizable yes yeah though i think they they kind of have a very interesting advantage there because then you have a person committing crimes that can cover up his own crimes um (laughs) so he's not only trying to solve his own crimes he can also cover them up because he is in the position to be able to do that yeah and my question would be do you think in his light form like in the the good guy form if he saw evidence that his dark side was doing this stuff do you think he'd cover it up or do you think he'd like turn himself in and be like something seriously wrong here because i I don't quite get the vibe that he would actually hang it up and be like, I think there's something going on that I'm not aware of. I think he would just cover his own crimes up and kind of hope he could figure it out himself. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Because I don't think even the the good Harvey Dent that we've seen, he's not necessarily, you know, a pillar of the community yeah. here. I think he wants to be in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is a level of corruption even in Harvey Dent, um, which probably partly allowed the birth of Two-Face, honestly. Um, so yeah, I don't think he would either. I, and I think um, the scene, if, if we discuss this scene then, where there's the, uh, we see the mayor's car, it's been impounded, mm-hmm. um, and they're talking about how um, one of the keys to the car is missing. 
which immediately alarm bells and <laughs> alarm bells the alarm bells on Harvey Dent's yes. face which is brilliant he's immediately just like oh shit. oh no <laughs> how drunk did oh, I no. get last oh. night <laughs> So uh, once he kind of has a, a few seconds by himself, he quickly looks around to see if anybody's looking and um, tries the key that he found in his pocket, this weird looking little like half key, mm-hmm. which is just a nice detail, but, um, and it, it works. It is the key to the limo. Yep. So clearly, clearly he's the one who put the bomb in the limo or somebody did and put the key in his pocket to make him think that's that he true. did. Um, that That's also something that we have to consider. That, that there are, I think I'm leaning towards it it was him that put yeah. the bomb in the limo, but it may not have been. So, but his his face at that moment. It was great. It Yeah, like just horror, panic, um, and just like this immediate, like he immediately stepped a little bit closer to the car. Like he was shielding it. He didn't want anybody to see. So I think in that moment, I fully believe that he was just going to cover it up, pretend it, yep. it wasn't happening. And I think he would continue with that. Yeah. Especially cause... as he... You know, he gained something from that. The, yeah, the he did. Out, so he had the motive as well, as far as, you know, any other DA would be would be concerned. He has the, the motive for, for doing it. Um, yeah, I think he would cover up all of it. I do. Even, even good guy Harvey Dent, I don't think he's that good. Yeah, good guy Harvey Dent wants to be better than he is. Like, he, he yes. wants to be a good guy, but he hasn't quite, he's not quite there. Um, and I think he also, you know, to be fair to him, I think he understands how Gotham works. And I mm-hmm. think he knows that if he went to the commissioner and was like, hey, remember that key that I like randomly found in my pocket? It just so happens to be connected to this crime scene. Like he's aware that he would be arrested immediately and there's no further investigation that would happen. They would just assume that he was the one who did it. Um, yeah. So he's he's kind of caught in the same position that Turner's in. Where it's like, if you want to clear your name, you might have to do some shady stuff to get there because of the system that you're in. Yeah. And I think he's deeply aware of how corrupt not only the GCPD, but just Gotham as a whole. Um, Mm -hmm. I think in his job, he would have seen a lot of that corruption and a lot of what comes out of that corruption over the years. And, you know, maybe he did start off a little bit more idealistic and wanted to be this this DA that was going to make a difference and and bring justice to Gotham. Um, and maybe just over the years, it got to him. And yeah. that, I mean, that would be perfectly, perfectly reasonable. But I do think he's, he's very aware of that corruption. So he would not expect a fair trial. He would not expect yep. um, any kind of investigation. And he also probably is immediately suspicious. Like, I don't remember where this key came from. I know mm-hmm. how corrupt this is. This entire place is. It could be any one of... 10, 20 different people. Um, he probably suspects Court of Owl's involvement after his scene with Turner before. Yeah. That's, that's probably something that's on his mind as well. Um, and especially with uh Lincoln turning up with the coin. So mm-hmm. that's a lot going on in Harvey Dent's brain right now. So and much. I was, I was, He's, like, yeah. He needs a nap. <laughs> <laughs> he really does. <laughs> he really needed that nap at the beginning of the episode. He was conked <laughs> out for a reason. <laughs> I really want to know what he was doing that night because obviously he wasn't blowing up the car that night because that happened a bit more prior mm-hmm. to that so what else was he doing that night does he know he's sleeping with rebecca marsh <laughs> uh, well i'm i'm intrigued because i know that we've been talking about this before but there's been a lot of like teasing going on about like harvey's like romantic life and like even the newest yeah. teaser that came out there's a couple little scenes in there that are very clearly like meant to have you be like oh my god like harvey's seeing someone and part of me is like the harvey that we've met so far does not really seem like a casual dater 
like mm. at all. Either he's too busy with work to really be dating anybody, or like, it, it, he just doesn't strike me as the type. So part of me wonders if he's if like Dark Harvey, if like this other personality is the one who's out there like sleeping with half of Gotham. Like that would make sense to me if that was like yes. how they're dividing that story. And it would be extremely funny if Rebecca was actually only with the darker version of Harvey. And so now she's dealing with a situation where her lover has no idea that that's the situation. That would be hilarious. I mean, obviously, we have no reason to necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. believe that that's where they're going with that. But it'd be pretty funny. I gotta say, I would like <laughs> that scene with the limo as well. I made a little note that uh, when he's investigating the limo with like the flashlight and stuff, like the way that that was filmed and it was all set up with the emphasis mm-hmm. on the flashlight, like it was very like noir and I loved mm-hmm. it. Which is very, very cool. beautifully done. It it really like brought back um like the, the kind of very early comics, like back during the 40s and 50s, like the detective comics in particular, like really liked that. Did enjoy. Ah, I think did did we miss anything so far? Because we're, we're 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 coming to the end of the episode now I where think we get we're that. almost there. Like I think we've yeah. pretty much hit everything else. So we should talk about the fact that uh, apparently now I'm not sure if she went back and did it. Or if she did it at the time, I would have to watch the scene several more times to see if she had any chance to. But Duela stole uh, Eunice Monroe's music box. Yeah. And we see her towards the end of the episode listening listening to the music box. So I was trying to work out if in the chaos of her like grabbing the time, I, I need to go back and watch again and see if, what happens to the music box. So, so I was like, well, did she have time to steal it then? I think or she did- just took it then when they were like, when it was all chaotic and moving around, mm-hmm. because I don't think, I don't think from the timeline that we're presented, she would have had time to go back to the nursing home just to take the box. Um, yeah. But she didn't, as far as at least I could remember, she didn't have like a bag or anything with her necessarily when they were in there so i was just like how was she carrying it because you see her walking out of the room with carrie and they kind of like have their arms linked and they're trying to look like innocent (laughs) for a second until shrieking grandma comes out after them but (laughs) and i was like where is the music box at that point so i was trying to trying to work that out but curious very minor detail but (laughs) curious um but becomes relevant because uh carrie there's this, this, this brief moment where Duella thinks that maybe Carrie is going to try and return it or like take it from her and then put it back. But like, no, Carrie's sense of justice isn't quite that yeah. quite that well developed. She's got a Batman sense of justice in, uh-huh. you know, the overall sense of good, not individual perfect acts. Yes. <laughs> so much more beneficial for them for her to dust it for Prince, which is how they then find out that some of the prints that are on this music box belong to phoenix <clears throat> felix not phoenix <laughs> i've been talking for like two hours for yes. like so. um they belong to a dead man <laughs> a dead man um so yes definitely giving them some clues that he ain't he ain't dead at all no which... and one detail that i loved is when they were running the prince and they were excluding everybody that they knew had touched it and duella's prince come up her mugshot is hilarious it was a two like blinking you'll miss it but she was like sticking her tire at the camera and like very having some fun with it so i really liked that little detail that they threw in yes. there just for a second it was brilliant i really enjoyed that shot like that's <laughs> needs to be the marketing for her for the entire season yeah. <laughs> that's just her <laughs> so. yeah and then we're back to our 
Talon popping up and crunching and cracking all his bones and Snack making crackle, us cringe pop. forever. <laughs> all I could think of was the TikTok audio where it's like that, the Nestle Crunch jingle. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> that was all I could think of when he was putting himself back together. Like, oh, it was so disgusting. But it also, I love like body horror. Like that's something that I find so fascinating. And I love that this guy is basically like a Frankenstein's monster. Like at this point where he's just... May, oh, like the fact that he's still alive is really gross and the fact that they can bring him back is really gross i love it it's this little horror within this like superhero show yeah but they really do lean into the darkness with that and i loved it it, it got me it made me cringe um <laughs> which i mean i need i need at least one like violence cringe or something <laughs> per episode so i enjoyed that very much I did, when I was going back through my reading of the Court of Owls comics, I did find one detail, which just made me smile so much. <laughs> so <clears throat> in the Court of Owls comics, um, there's this whole really cute, right, really cool um, section with like a labyrinth where Batman is stuck in the labyrinth. He's in there for like a week to try and like weaken him. Um, and then the Court of Owls come along and, and there's a, a big fight scene with the Talon and Batman barely survives he basically gets a, a second wind when he sees a picture of alan wayne because this entire place it's kind of decorated with pictures of their previous conquests because the court of owls just seem like that type of person <laughs> um and he sees a picture of alan wayne he's like no I, i've got this i've got to survive i've got to do it so he manages to survive and get out um but he's he's really just hanging in there like it's, it's it's a bad time to be batman um and he's actually resurrected somebody brings him back they restart his heart with some jumper cables <laughs> and the person who does that is harper Rowe. <laughs> ah, well, <look> <laughs> we Which love a I, connection yeah i loved that i was like yeah and that just seems very <laughs> much like something that she would do <laughs> i hope so. that we get to see harper do that to someone this season <laughs> yes let harper play with some jumper cables please yes <laughs> So and I think I'm pretty sure I've said this every time, but I think this might actually be my my favorite episode so far. <laughs> <laughs> they all really are improving on each other. Like we were saying earlier, like I think the closer that the team gets, the more connections that they have, the more times that each of the kids gets to kind of team up with another one of the kids one on one. You're starting to get a sense of their personalities a lot more. And also, I mean, we keep saying this, but it's just so clear how much love and care is going into this show. And I, as a nerd myself, Whenever I see other people like clearly nerding out and feeling very passionate about something, even if it's not something that I'm interested in personally, like it makes me excited. It makes me invested. I'm like, people clearly care about this. And there are times where you'll watch a superhero movie that's very clearly made by someone who doesn't like the genre and is just kind of doing it because it's like, oh, like the money or I want to work with this actor or whatever. This is a show where you can tell that everybody really cares about Batman and the comics. And so as it goes yeah. on and we have more and more of these references coming in, we have more and more plot lines to pull from. It's just becoming more and more clear how how much they care. And it comes through and it makes it a really fun experience to watch. Yeah, it really does. So right down to the tiny little details, even like we keep saying um, with the costuming and the set design, like even in this episode, like when Harvey's talking to Lincoln Marsh and Lincoln's bringing out the coin to show him during that scene, Harvey's tie again had a very clear split down yeah. the middle. Um, and just those those tiny little details that like, do they really, you know, is, is it gonna change the plot or is anything catastrophic gonna happen if that wasn't there? No, of course not. But it just adds such a richness to the show. Mm -hmm. Um, like this show is is really honoring all of the DC um 
things that came before it, the different movies, animated shows, uh, the Joker movies, like everything. They have really honored all of that and yet managed to bring everything together in this amazing cocktail that is so unique and is so its yeah. own thing. And even put this amazing like sprinkle of like CW-ness in there too. Like I know yes. we keep making fun of Turner's hair, but like <laughs> it, it's genuinely such a CW thing. It's it the really secret is. sauce. There's a reason that this network has lived as long as it has. There's yeah. something in the water on the CW that you just enjoy watching. But they've also done such a good job of just making it a fully realized world. And those little details add up to make it a world that you want to live in. The despite the fact that you're leaning on, you know, hundreds of years of comics, there are definitely versions of Gotham that have fallen flat for me, where it just kind of feels like it's just like New York City, but like with some set dressing, you know, and yeah. this does not feel like that. This feels like its own place. And it feels like Gotham, like you were saying earlier with the blimps or things like that, just like little details that make you realize it's not this world. And I really love that. Yeah. And Gotham itself has so much personality and, and each Gotham is is unique. But I am loving this Gotham so far. Mm-hmm. And I really think it is those those news segments that are really additionally selling it to me that little yep. bit more and making me remember that there's a whole city out there. And sometimes it feels like those news segments are very much like the audience that's them kind of speaking directly to us, which is great. I love that they're doing that. It's a wonderful touch. Um, but it also really does just build this sense of Gotham being a much bigger thing than what's going on with just these kids. Mm-hmm. And the other little references that they drop in, like other things that we're now aware exist in this world, even if they're not the focus of the story, like the Penguins Club got brought mm-hmm. up in this. So you're wondering, okay, so is he out there committing terrible crimes while we're doing <laughs> it? Um, other things which may or may not come up, like Stephanie's dad, like is Cluemaster going to show up? Like is he mm-hmm. out there committing crimes right now? Like so many different things. Um, and I absolutely love it. And obviously, as we've talked about in depth, like every single episode so far, we've had some kind of Joker mention, even if not by yep. name, where we've we've had something in there. And as far as we're aware, he could still be out there. Like we don't we don't know at this yeah. point. Which does bring me to an interesting question. Do you think Cressida survived this episode? Because she failed. <laughs> Turner she escaped. Did. She did. Um, I think that she is still more useful to them alive than dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're also aware of the optics of Cressida dying yep. immediately after Batman dying, when everyone kind of knows that she's his right hand lady and was and was very close to him. Unless I think they she's... wanted that to be another thing they framed Turner for. This is true. This is true. I think that as of now, she's safe. But like, especially because, oh, hang on. This is this is my brain just going. Especially because his fingerprints are now all over her gun. Yeah, that's true. They could frame him for that too if they wanted to. So did he? Did he take it with him? Like, did he still have it when he left? I think he did. But I think so. Yeah. (laughs) That I mean, I I I think her days are numbered if she is alive. Mm Hmm. Because I, I think that they would only keep her alive for, like, a very specific purpose instead yeah. of just keeping they, her They don't seem generally. like the most forgiving of people. No. <laughs> kind no. of seems like if you mess up, that's it. That's Unless it. you're the talent, apparently, <laughs> then you just keep getting chance after chance after chance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, 
And looking into kind of the next couple episodes that are coming out. So our next next week's episode is called More Money, More Problems, which, yeah, that's the mission statement of the show right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this episode, it's, it's going to be really interesting because they, we're involving yet another villain. We're getting another kind of villain of the week, which is the McKillen family, this mobster family that they're going after kind of as they're trying to take down the owls. Um, Carrie and Stephanie <laughs> have to... <laughs> prepare for the gotham academy parents luncheon because remember they're still in high school <laughs> they're still students apparently they're still students they've got to do some things and probably most intriguingly harvey goes to see a psychiatrist um which i think is going to be a very interesting exercise in how much he really knows about what's going on in his yeah. brain or if i think we will change. get some get some answers there um or at least partial answers we're not we're not even halfway through the season yet so i'm not a, yeah. i'm not thinking we're going to get a lot of answers but interesting because we know so. that we don't get kind of full two-face until mm-hmm. one would assume probably the last episode yeah close to the last the episode um but we do get a little bit of two-face we've seen the costume <laughs> we've seen the face <laughs> it's coming it's coming <laughs> yeah um but one you know we have to assume that that's probably the very last episode of yeah of the season um so i'm interested like to see what we will find out because obviously we're being given like little little breadcrumbs as we go along but i feel like that's going to be a big one like a big big handful of breadcrumbs so. <laughs> that's that's just the whole loaf we're not talking about breadcrumbs <laughs> anymore it's just the whole loaf of bread yeah, it's raining bread in that psychiatrist's office. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for this week's episode of Your Bad is Dead. Be sure to tune in next week for all the twists and turns on Gotham Nights. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Your Bad is Dead, and our show is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to head to Nerds and Beyond for all your nerdy news and a variety of fandoms, including Gotham Nights. This show is produced by Mal Windsor and Jules Thompson for Nerds and Beyond, and our theme music is by Kennedy Lynch.